Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of GovInfoSecurity.com and the Information Security Media Group. Today I'm talking with Jim Harper, Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, a libertarian think tank. Thank Jim for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. In your congressional testimony, you analogize the real and virtual world, saying that cybersecurity, as in security in the real world, consists not of a small universe of problems, but thousands of different problems that will be handled in thousands of different ways by millions of people over the coming decades. Securing cyberspace means tackling thousands of technology, business, economic, and law enforcement problems. And like the real world, you said, it will take time, perhaps decades, and that doesn't worry you. Why not? There is a broad analogy between cyberspace and real space, and the conclusion is that we should secure cyberspace. But we don't really secure real space. We secure specific things in real space. I think it's just a sort of turn of phrase that's turned into a policy that we should secure all of cyberspace. It's just not the case. We secure our houses, our cars, our locker at the gym, our bikes, our money, and we use systems that have developed over hundreds and in many cases thousands of years to do so. Uh, We know what we can keep in a house behind windows and doors, which have certain physical properties. We expect that we could create an analogical world that is a parallel world in a matter of years or certainly not months or or even decades. It'll take a long time to secure all this stuff. We will suffer losses. Nothing I say is meant to diminish the importance of working on security. We'll suffer losses, but we've got to understand that it's going to take a long time to figure all this stuff out. And I'm most concerned with a sort of Washington, D.C. mentality that we need to secure it all right now or we'll suffer enormous calamity. We may suffer some because of some cyber attacks, because of some weaknesses, but we just got to know that that's going to be par for the course. Throughout the physical world, we continue to suffer losses of assets and losses of people because we don't know perfectly well how to secure all these things. Are there too many doomsdayers out there uh, making cyber threats seem more menacing than they really are? I think there are. It's an illustration of a Washington, D.C. habit where people try to sort of outbid each other in doomsaying. Take any issue area, any controversy, and you tend to see the Washington, D.C. pundit class and politicians and government contractors step up and try to make the problem sound bigger than it is. We get that in this area with the discussion of cyber warfare and cyber terrorism. Cyber terrorism in particular, I think, cannot exist. I think there's no such thing as cyber terrorism because cyber attacks can't cause terror. They don't don't scare us. And that's an essential element of terrorism, as the, as the name implies. Cyber warfare, there's a limited realm in which there is might be such a thing as cyber warfare. That's attacking networks during wartime to prevent and dismantle the war-making apparatus of our country. Other than that, there really isn't a strategic logic to cyber warfare. The upside for a, a quote-unquote attacker is very minimal, and the downside is rather vast. So I don't think there's even a lot real logic to general cyber attacks. So anyway, these terms are thrown about more and more commonly in D.C. suggesting that there's an emergency underway. It's not an emergency. There's an important problem that we need to continue to work on. We're talking the week after Independence Day where there have been assaults on websites in the federal government, some commercial institutions as well as uh, in South Korea, some suggesting it may be coming from North Korea. Is this an illustration of overreaction? I think this is a good illustration, actually, of nature and scope of the threat. Now, there's always going to be on the horizon some more serious concern. We have to always be looking for that and working to address that. But this was a cyber attack of substantial significance, and most Americans won't know about it. Those that do know about it will know about it from your publication and from reading about it elsewhere. We're really not in a crisis mode because of these cyber attacks. What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. I understand that most of this has been sort of a clumsy denial-of-service approach, which and, and denial-of-service is important, but 
but not devastating. So we've got a problem. We seem to have it well in hand, and we should continue to press forward on attacks and genres of attack to prevent them, to weaken them, to be able to respond to them and bring our systems back up after them. Things are under control. The United States is not in crisis because of this attack. It's, it's relatively placid, frankly, despite the attack. Your testimony suggests that FISMA, the Federal Information Security Management Act, demonstrates the government's inability to secure IT. Bills offered by Senator Jay Rockefeller of West Virginia and Tom Carper of Delaware would in part change the way government governs cybersecurity. Do you see these measures as any improvements over FISMA? The problem with FISMA, and I think it's well understood, is that it's mostly about paperwork. You have to have, you know, processes in place. You have to have a plan and, and these kinds of things. Well, all that planning and all that process kind of stands in the way for, because we're always in a limited resource environment, kind of stands in the way of getting at real problems. Now, the federal government isn't specifically disabled from doing cybersecurity. It's not worse than anyone else, but nobody really knows how to secure these problems. I wrote about FISMA in this context in response to a paper from CSIS, the Center for Strategic and International Studies, which sort of left to the idea that the government should regulate cyberspace in order to secure it. That begs the question of what regulation would say. And FISMA was written in the absence of knowing what it takes to secure all these assets. So they just punted and said, let's do paperwork. That's the same thing that we saw in the privacy area in the Grand Leach-Bliley Act, where it has safeguards, or rather a yeah, safeguards rule, I think is the name of it, that requires financial institutions to have a plan. Well, plans uh, are defeated, and we don't have security. We just have plans that failed to secure us. All this just begs the question of how you actually secure these things. And I think it's more important to get on with the process of learning how to secure our assets and infrastructure rather than paperwork that says we're thinking about how we secure them. So what is the role of government in securing IT and that of the critical national IT infrastructure? Well, government does have a role. You know, I work at a libertarian think tank, and we try to limit the size and scope of government, expanding the freedom that individuals have to live their lives as they want with their tax dollars in their pocket rather than in, in the government coffers. But we do have a large government. It's a substantial, if not the largest, purchaser of technology products in the world, and it can help mature what is still a very immature marketplace for technology. Many products are rushed to market without sufficient testing. The government can set standards a couple different ways to help make sure that more and more products are secure when they hit the market. For example, by requiring that regular products have the more secure settings on by default, making it a little bit harder to use, but a little bit more secure so that people have to overcome a little step in order to make their technology less secure slash more useful. Another way might be to shift the risk of loss from the government, from the purchaser, to the seller when technology products fail to secure so that in a contract it may say, this product that you are selling is guaranteed to work for this purpose, including securing data, securing the network, etc., etc. If it fails to do so, contract liability then accrues to the seller rather than as it does in the, for the most part now to the buyer. You just, as a buyer of technology, you lose if it doesn't work for you. Well, you shift that risk and the seller will have to take more responsibility. It will cost them more if their products fail. Accordingly, they'll spend more money and time on security. Products may cost more in that environment, but products that are more secure are more valuable. And so letting them cost more is appropriate. Government can be, as a market participant, can help advance the market in these directions, and I think that'll make things more secure across the cyberspace ecosystem, if you will. But is there some danger if the government doesn't guarantee some of that security because of the nature of government's responsibilities to its citizens? 
there isn't much danger. Now, a security breach in the private sector is equivalent to a security breach in the public sector, except for the areas that we really do ask government to take a special role. Things like defense, military defense, defense of the nation against physical attacks by others is a public good that the federal government is supposed to provide. If it fails to provide it, we are in a really bad situation. It's not something that, that can be provided in the private sector. So in that field, it would be very dangerous for our security to be weak. And accordingly, that's a priority. And I think it's a priority that the Department of Defense and other entities are working on very hard right now, and appropriately so. I cited, frankly, some successes where a lot of people are touting failures. The practice of keeping true critical infrastructure offline, not connected to the internet nor managed over the public internet, is working. And in the case of the Joint Strike Fighter, which now everybody seems to know for mall security breach, the important stuff was kept offline and wasn't breached, and so I think that's a success. The really important stuff that is really an appropriate role for government must be kept secure, like military infrastructure. I think they're doing a good job with when it comes to benefits and transfer payment and all the other stuff that the government does, the risks are the same between the private and public sector. There isn't special danger if the public sector fails at its security efforts. It should try to, to be secure, be more secure with parties who lose money when they fail to secure, and that's not the case in government agencies. Thanks, Jim, for taking time to speak with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. That's Jim Harper, Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. I'm Eric Chabro of GovInfoSecurity.com and the Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.